so distinguished guests professors colleagues students so it is great pleasure for me to be here today and and a great opportunity that i get from international migration institute from here to give me a chance to talk about my research here so i'm very much pleased so the from the title you were saying that i am going to talk about bangladesh that means my mother tongue is bangla and i love to talk in bangla but it's really difficult today that i cannot talk in bangla so <laughs> i beg pardon for my poor english if you don't understand what i am saying just stop me and ask me i will try to make you understand so if we see what i am going to talk today so i have two chapters to talk with you the first one i am going to talk about how the society in very remote coastal villages in bangladesh deal with the cyclone disaster and why do they act so and the second part of my talk i am going to say which role this kind of disaster induced migration play to improve their livelihood or is there any changes has been observed in the society so let's see start with the comments or a statement from our honorable prime minister from bangladesh so sheikh hasina she said in 2009 on the un general assembly that what is alarming is that a meter rise in the sea level would inundate 18% of our landmass directly impacting 11% of our people of the billion people expected to be displaced worldwide by 2050 by climate change factors on in every seven people in bangladesh would be a victim it is very much horrible situation if this is happen in bangladesh we have not an a plant to take this people from coastal area to the city places so a country where live more than 1000 people per square kilometer so you cannot think that we can uh, so relocate the people from this vulnerable coastal regions so now i am going to show you what are the cyclone prone zones in bangladesh so here you can see that the all these places closest to the bay of bengal those are very much vulnerable to the cyclone disaster i created this map over last 200 years cyclone affected in bangladesh based on the death tolls and at the district level so we have seen that so all the coastal zones just like red so somehow some day in last 200 years all these places are affected by cyclones and it seems that every 3 years this area faced at least on cyclone and these green portions so here you see this is the sundarbans the all largest mangrove forest in and it has a big role to protect these people who living here so if this cyclones is there and it's not possible for me to work for the whole coastal regions i have to be selective and that's why i choose 
two cyclones that affected in this region. One is Cyclone Cedar, affected in 2007, and the another one is 2009, Cyclone Isla. So if you see here, just like the red market statistics, around 2 million people was affected by Cyclone Cedar, around 1 million people was affected by Cyclone Isla. But Cyclone Cedar cost more than 3,000 people lives, but Cyclone Isla cost 234. I am not going to take all the details about these statistics, but this give us some impressions which places of the, uh, this coastal range is affected by Cyclone Cedar. If you see these red marks, these areas mostly affected by Cyclone Cedar. Similarly, these areas mostly affected by Cyclone Isla. So, if we just took them together, these most affected places, then I select my study area as this area, 45 villages, where more than 30, 000, so around 27,000 households are living. So just so like 300,000 people are living there. So this was my study area. And in this study area, I try to understand how those coastal communities in Bangladesh perceive, react, and adapt to cyclone disaster, and why do they act so? To answer this question, there are a lot of methods. Yeah? There are a lot of theory behind. Just like if we say, pressure and release model, they analyze the root causes of vulnerabilities and disaster. There are risk as approach. They try to understand different kind of risk and how it is impact in the society. There are political economy approach and analyzing the risk. But there is no specific model that can describe a total cyclone dynamics in the society. That's why I took that state and transition model. It is originated from ecology and I modified it for my analytical concept. Just like you can see here, so state and transition model, that should be a state just like this situation, we are a very normal situation. If we hear an earthquake signal or just like fire alarm, everybody will be hurry up, everybody will run out from this room and we don't know, so alarm is gone, we will be another state. Just like here, you see, this first part is a pre-event state, there is a early on from the cyclone, people take preparation. And when there is cyclone, they have to cope with the situation. Cyclone is gone. They have to rehabilitate their situation. And then at the end, there is no relief materials, no support from the external people. So they have to adapt the situation. So that is the adaptation for me. And that make a new state of the environment or in the society that I could say post-event state. But it could be the pre-event state for the upcoming disaster. And all these stages are very much affected by the poverty and social connections. And I try to use this model and I am going to tell how this model works in context of a cyclone in Bangladesh. And for that, there are a lot of methods, but I try to use mixed method approach, just like I use quantitative and qualitative approaches of data collection. So where I did survey for 1,555 households all over this 20, 45 villages. And I did so group discussion, expert interview, in-depth interviews, and also some 
you can say some modeling with group discussions so some experimental work with them so how did i analyze this data so i created social supremacy index based on the principal component analysis i also developed the social vulnerability index by using gis so geographical information system i created some special analysis just like so uh, distance from the cyclone shelter to the households and also the, the using the digital elevation model i see how the people how they are living so where they are living how much their distance from the sea level to their houses and this kind of things and for the group discussion and so from the qualitative part i did some just like social domain analysis from that we can understand what is their level in the society so uh, different categories of people by using the social analysis clip we can analyze the power in the society so who act in which part for which interest so and there are also the mobility diagram problem ranking so i use the hazard calendars so just like let's see what i have done so the first of all when there is a cyclone the very most important elements in our country that is the cyclone shelter so the government and also the developing partners from all over the world they are investing a lot of money to construct cyclone shelter you see this cyclone shelters the underneath is for the cattle or livestock the upper portions for the families yeah and during ila has taken these pictures and you see all over so there are flooded besides so it's it's also not very much easy to go there so it is not accessible for everybody just like so small children or the pregnant women or the older people so they have to go in different ways and that's why it raised me the questions how this cyclone shelter is socio especially positioned let's see in this figure i just took all experiment here so it was done in gabura it is a very remote villages in satkira and here you see uh, the so middle of this just like they are the location of the cyclone shelters and there are three kinds of dots on is red blue and light blue so red means the social supreme so i created a index based on the land asset they have based on their stated income per month and also their investment to construct their residential house so if you see the rural society in bangladesh to have land to have power and to have a very good house it brings you the social status so that's why when people have money they invest to construct a good house so with these three values i develop on index so those people who get less number in this index they are very much privileged in the community and those who get highest number they are social supreme and then i used gis and special analysis just like this this radius show the catchment area of the cyclone shelter the smallest one shows 500 meter and the largest one so 1.5 kilometers so according to our rules the government should construct the house uh, cyclone shelter in a place where at least 1.5 where at the people who are living at least 1.5 kilometer distance from the cyclone shelter can able to be go to the cyclone shelter during any kind of cyclone so from here if we see that most of the road dots they are inside the catchment area 
very few of them are outside the catchment area and if we just look just like more zone they are inside the 500 meter radius do you have any idea why this is so <laughs> so maybe i can explain the reason is that if you want to construct this kind of shelter yeah it's a big, so it's a good very big large scale shelter you need land yeah and who had the land there is people in the community and they have to donate it and then they said yeah i can donate it if you construct it near my house so think about the planning yeah now i am showing you just based on the digital elevation model so 17% of the respondent houses just like above only 4 meter from the mean sea level so if there is a tidal surge due to a cyclone which is just like more than 4 meter everybody will go under water yeah so the average tidal surge in bangladesh last 100 years statistics shows that it is around it varies between 3 to 4 meter so just like in this sample only 17% people could survive uh, survive if there is a tidal surge less than 4 meter okay let's see how the people prepared themselves in my data said only 30% of the responded get preparation for the cyclone what are the regions they said that they didn't have enough time to get the <coughs> the preparation done and what they have done of those 30% they just preserve some dry foods and they so tied their rooftop with a big tree so that their house can be saved if you see here and here the volunteers of the community they are messaging the people that there is a cyclone and it was taken just like 2 hours before the cyclone ayla happened and i was there i with my all the research assistants also affected by cyclone ayla and we had no food for 3 days that means the people perceive the cyclones just like a spontaneous event just like here if you see the shahabuddin a 17 years old man who was living in this house said that nobody knew what had hit us i came it suddenly and we came stunned and for the right side if you see that as the cyclone ayla arrived the water raised to waist level within 20 to 30 minutes we all climbed into our boat and moved to elevated areas after taking a few things we were able to save so she was from bilaskoira and a housewife so if the situation when a cyclone is happening they need refuge centers what are the refuge centers so as i have said before that there are cyclone shelter there are elevated places there are religious institutes so called mosque or temple and there are neighbors house so this figure in the right side is drawn from a group discussion conducted in july 2009 during field survey so the area of this refuge places denotes the capacity how much people can be accommodated during a cyclone in this place the length of the arrows shows the distance from their own places to this cyclone shelter 
and the thickness of the arrow shows how many people actually taken place to this refugee centers. So from this figure, what we can learn? We learn that cyclone shelter has a larger amount of capacity to accommodate a lot of people, but a very less people went there. Why? Sorry? Distance. Not only distance. I had some uh, answers from the uh, household survey, the, from the quantitative data. We found that those who received early warning, they were able to go there. Those who had some time to take the preparation, they were able to go there. And it also varies if their own housing condition was not good, they will go. But if you have a very good house, you will think, no, I should stay at home and I will preserve my resources. I will take care of my livestock. I will take care of my parents. And also it depends on the social status. Just like if you are a farmer or if you are just like a day laborer working in, in the working class, you will feel shame like to go there. Or if, if you are a schoolmaster, just like your social status there, everybody respected you and you want to leave your house, sometimes you will feel like, no, I will not go. I will stay at home. Or if the people have experienced before how to cope with cyclones, they will take decision whether I will go to the cyclone or not. So let's see the next stage. It's not possible to cope in this situation alone. You can, so nobody can survive without any external help or the supports from the government or the, from the NGOs. And as per the statistics, we can say that the government has spent more than $1.4 billion to recover and support the people who are suffered from Cyclone Isla and Cedar. And there are mismanages everywhere. And as I was myself as a self-victim as a Cyclone Isla, I observed that how the relief distribution is, how the relief or the, these aids are distributed in the field. And I assumed it is socially manipulated, socially discriminated. And then I talked with the people, I interviewed with the people, and it's see in this figure, you see, it's a relief action, yeah? And how many people are waiting for that food? But how many of them are getting? Just like those, maybe very few, 20 or 50% of them will get if they have listed on their priority list or the list taken by the uh, NGO worker or the uh, organizers from the political leaders. So it's important to be listed on their priority list. Otherwise, you will not get any food, any reliefs. But there are other situations. So when there are a lot of external aids available for you, and you are being listed to everywhere, you are getting a lot, then it will make you more dependent on external supports. You will be more dependent for other people are helping you. So just make dependency in the society. Yeah? And you then you will try to calculate, oh, should I go to him or should I go to him? Yeah? Just like then I try to understand, really people calculate? So from who I should take the uh, aid or revolution support? So just read this uh, biographical interview what I've taken from Sharon Kula. He said that, why should I rebuild my broken house? Up 
after cyclone cedar many ngos came to build my house at that time i made a mistake accepting the support of caritas bangladesh if i had taken the house of muslim aid organization today i would have a very good house i would wait this time until they come to me or even going to try to raise them so the difference is this caritas bangladesh give a small uh, size of house just like uh, corrugated sheet and some construction uh, uh, token money just like 2000 but muslim aid construct a building and it is elevated just like 7 meter high the concrete sheet so everything so it's just like super deal uh, if you can have this so when he saw that i have this and he has this so he just start to calculate it so it makes dependency and also concurrence in the society it creates the marginalization process in the society so let's see <coughs> how do the respondent react at the end of the emergency support so no relief materials is there no support is there but people have to leave so 17% of my respondents said that they sell out their resources just like cattle crops jewelries they have changes their occupation just like who are farmer they switch to the fisherman because the areas inundated they are available of fish so they start to fishing there or they move to the uh, other occupation just like art work regular art work or do the construction works this kind of thing do and also they are dependent on the sundarbon resources as i said that is the uh, largest mangrove forest and there are a lot of opportunities to invest uh, or there and they can earn a lot from sundarbans but the Eighty percent people had to take loans. Without my, my loans, they cannot survive. Yeah, because there is no income. They have low level of emergency supports, and the rest, just like from my sample, only thirty-four percent of the respondents' family said that at least one member of their family went to the city or nearby communities just leave their houses. and in this situation we can say that there are the changes in the regional community or the regional society so the first part of my talk which is based on the state and transition model is over and now i am going to concentrate on the second part of that migration so those people who migrated and what their family said about them just like which role does migration play in recovering devastated livelihoods after cyclone i think that will be interesting for you because you people are very much fond about migration <laughs> and so i just try to explain in very simple way when why are who why migrated because i am not a migrant a migration scholar i just try to understand it how migration and environment and planning works together so just like the the people they try to leave, stay their places so in my observation i said that average for two or three weeks they waited there and after that they move and most of them move to the nearby cities and a very few of them moved a very far away from the their locality just like to the capital city dhaka yeah but the interesting thing is that high income groups were much less likely than the lower income groups to be migrated 
So in my sample, there is nobody who had a monthly income more than $75, never migrated in last 50 years. And even also the poorer section of the community, those who got benefited from the uh, government aids or NGO aids or even the private initiatives, they avoid migration. And those who see, have seen that there is no long-term solution or sustainable solution for their livelihood in this community, they took the decision to <coughs> leave their places. So, now see, what is the consequence to the situation of this uh, family situation at the, live, uh, at the origin places? Yeah, just like. I try to ask them, do you receive remittances from your migrant family members? 78% was used to receive uh, once in a month, but 4% never received any remittances from their family members. And then I ask them, what you have used for this remittance money? Most of them used only for basic needs, just like food and house, repairing their houses. Yeah? So around 86% just spend all this money for food. Yeah? And then I asked, do you have any communication possibilities with your migrant family members? So for only half of this uh, respondent, they said they received a call twice in a week, but 8% said they never received a call, even after a month. And so just like in the rural society context in Bangladesh, so only one earning, one or two earning member in the family, and he is male, when he left the house, so the female woman will be take the responsibility of the family. And it was very difficult when there is no male at the family to get benefited from the communities. Yeah? And their, so this kind of family are excluded from the disaster scheme. Just like here, the interviews, she said that so if you want to have some relief goods, your home name should be put on the list of the NGO officer. My husband has gone Shatkira for pulling rickshaw. Nobody is here for me and for my children. None can put our name on the NGO list. What shall we do? How long can we survive without food? Maybe we must go to my husband's place. So that means, what do you see? How they have lived in these conditions, they brought from their neighbors or from money lenders or even from even plan to migrate from this place. And the female-headed households earned money by sometimes begging or by working as maid servants in the local political leaders' house, those who are powerful. What is the situation at the destination places, if you see? So those people who moved to the destination places, they are insecure regarding their jobs. Yeah? They are out of regular income sources. They pulled rickshaw or working as industrial labor or construction labor. And if the women or children are lucky, they could have some very underpaid job like maid servants. So here you can see in the, in the interview, she said, my husband left us almost 10 years ago. I have two daughters, one is 12, another one is 10. My son is 16 years old. He used to sleep at a shrimp farm at night and daytime he was selling labor at different agricultural field in, at our villages. But after Isla, both opportunities were lost. 
So no shrimp farm, no agricultural field. So we had no work in the village. Thus my son decided to move to Kulna. We are now living at the slum. My son pulls rickshaw. My two daughters go here to enjoy school. I cook for the restaurant near the rickshaw stand. So this is the situation who left their own places after cyclone. And it seems that they have lack of access to nutrition, water and sanitation facilities because they are living at slums and very substandard housing conditions. So if we see the origin and destination places and this total process of migration, what happened here? If you see here, just like it's a coastal village, epic cyclone, we see that there is external supports, there are also individual or community responses, and when this end, just like end of emergency supports and lack of individual capacity to maintain livelihood cost, then there is two group of people. Some people, uh, some people household, uh, some people moves from origin, and some people remain at origin. So if we just see the fourth scenario I have uh, created here, so just like move without dependence. They have problem of the dependents who are living at the origin places, they're excluded from the uh, emergency support. Yeah? So move with dependents, their exclusion from the original society, they're excluded. They will not get any support from the original society, but they are included physically in the new community, but they have a lot of problems. And move scenario three, move having personal social network. They were easy to settle down comparative to others because they, they need the reference to her uh, rent rickshaw to pull on. So they need references to go to the industrial uh, industry to have a job or something like that. But who move without having personal network? They have very hard situation to live there. And those who live or those who stay put in the original location, they have to seek the local jobs or do the construction works or to sell out the resources. This is the whole process what happened after the cyclones or just like disasters. So just like then I came interested on those who are not leaving these places, what is their history of settlement in this area? I asked them, how long have you been living in these places? You see, more, around 60% people said that they are living these places since their, before their grandfather. So just like third or fourth generations. Yeah? And that's why they have a long-standing social connections and they are very much oil acquaintance with the community people. Only 3% of my sample said that they came here after cyclone cedar. So that, that seems like another di uh, the dynamics of uh, cyclone that not only the uh, so people are not only moved from rural area to the urban areas, but they are also moving from on places between rural to rural areas. So what that the cyclone cedar say, 3% of the people so moving within their rural communities also. The another things, it was very much interesting for me. I asked them, do you think that there are better economic opportunity in other places or in cities than your own place? 85% said yes. Then I asked, do you affected since five years by any cyclone? 77% says yes. Then I asked, okay, you were affected by a cyclone in the last five years, and you think that there are more economic opportunity in outside the, your village, do you want to move? 
79% say, no, I will not move. Why? I don't know. So, which lesson can we learn from this uh, results for future adaptation planning? So, as a planner, I always talk about the planning. So, let's see what we have learned today. We see that disaster management is totally captured by the elite people and the rehabilitation and relief program is manipulated by also this social supremacy or social supremes and that means only the affluent population have access to the disaster decision making process and we have also seen that a large share of our victims do not want to move and overall we have seen that and disastrous event creates social marginalization process and it makes pattern-client relationship with the society. I am worried. How can I translate this result into action? Do you have any idea? <laughs> so, can we restructure the relief and reconstruction mechanism so that it can suit it for the affected society? Can we organize participatory planning for the disaster management? Can we weaken the role of the social supreme during planning process? Or can we promote migration as adaptation? I think it's not possible at this stage. So because the society is structured, political awareness, the enjoyment of rights is totally what we have seen. The cyclone shelter is positioned by the decision of the local politicians. Relief distribution is manipulated by the <coughs> social powers and you to have to local connections so it's really not easy to make these things happen so that's why we need more action research that can address the risk reduction planning and i say as a newcomer to this environmental migration field i would like to enjoy to research why people stay put despite of diverse risk in livelihood thank you for your patience thanks a lot